Hello and welcome once again to episode 40 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hello. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our indie app spotlight. Today we are checking out uh, Billsley by Clayton Watkins, an iPhone app that helps you keep track of your monthly bills. Billsley gives you an at-a-glance view of all your upcoming bills on its dashboard and keeps track of them so you don't forget them as the months go by. Billsley lets you organize bills into categories and will also send you a notification when due dates get close so you don't forget to pay that bill. Billsley is completely free to download and use and is supported entirely by tips and apps, so please support Clayton by downloading the app and showing them your support. And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. So we no longer have a backlog for Indie App Spotlight. So uh, if if you make indie apps, uh, please reach out to us on Twitter at Code Completion via DM, and we'll spotlight your app in the near future. So uh, for today's topic, um, I, I should go ahead and preface that anyone who knows me will tell you that I have a strong opinions when it comes to Git. Uh, so I figured what better topic to handle uh, to tackle and uh, torture Spencer with as I as I show off those uh, deep opinions of there's only one way that's right. Um, so, uh, putting that aside, um, Git is something that we have to use in almost every part of development nowadays. Um, and I guess it's kind of good that we standardize on one source control thing rather than uh, there used to be a whole bunch like uh, Subversion, Mercurial... Mm-hmm. Um, I never use any of them, so can't tell you much about uh, how those ones work that are separate from uh, Git. Uh, but Spencer, what are your thoughts on needing to use Git as a modern developer? Yeah, I um, I think probably my initial opinions about Git were probably what many people had upon learning about it and learning what it was, which is this is really cool, but also this kind of sucks to use. Like, I don't really enjoy learning about it. Um, I, I, I Now, at this point, after years of, of experience using it, I love it. I think it's absolutely uh, critical to be able to use, even personally, to be able to sort of compartmentalize what you're, um, what you're doing and also kind of saving yourself down the line if you need to revert some changes or whatnot. Um, but to start with, I I didn't really like it. And I think it just came down to, uh, conceptually, it may be a little bit hard to understand. So maybe hopefully in this episode, we can sort of break a lot of those things down uh, and help clarify some things. But when you're working on a team, it's absolutely essential. I, I have no clue how much of a, a just disorganized dumpster fire of a mess it would be if we had to, you know, slack each other files and have someone merge them automatically or merge them manually or something. So, it, you know, today it's it's something that I use on the daily and I will continue to use on the daily. And to be honest, I there are times that I wish that Git existed in other places that aren't in development. For example, I mean, there's nothing saying you couldn't do this, but something built into apps like, I don't know, uh, Photoshop or something with different versions of files or something, just like built-in support for versioning is super cool. And I guess you have documents and everything that can kind of do that. But um, 
I think it's a, it's a pro, it's a solution to a problem that can solve more than it is currently solving. If that makes sense, but maybe that's out of the current scope of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny you mentioned like throwing files around in Slack because what it literally was uh, before I started using any of this, and I did have to work with people, is chucking a thumb drive across uh, cubicles uh, because that's where the files were and. Even if one person was using source control, didn't mean the other one was. Um, right. So that that oftentimes was the the easiest thing to do. And ironically enough, I believe I'm not sure if it's the Git uh, project itself, so like the development for Git the project, or if it's the Linux kernel. Uh, but both of those are are built in, or one of those, or maybe both, is built in such a way where uh, they actually do do pretty much the same thing of what we used to do of chucking files all over the place, but they chuck patch files um, via mailing lists. So basically, uh, your version of Git uh, or your your version of the project, you would basically pull in the patch files from the mailing list as people develop them, and you your version should be as up-to-date as anyone else's version because Git is very... Um, uh, what's that term uh, that's like... Uh, it, it's decentralized. Um, meaning like you don't have to have a central location which manages it all. Um, and that's kind of where it came from. And I feel like that's a great thing to have, but it also adds a lot of complexity to uh, what people think of uh, a version control system should be um, when they don't know necessarily what Git is doing under the hood. Um, and I think that's what leads to a lot of misunderstandings and um, frustrations uh, when it comes to using Git. I guess one of the biggest things that um, I love about Git and its basic, a couple of its central features are the ability to commit your changes and the ability to have branches. And those two things kind of make up, I think, the essence of what is Git. A commit is essentially us saying, I have um, maybe a feature that I'm working on. I'm adding um, some new view controller to my UI. And that is kind of its own compartmentalized amount of work that uh, I would maybe be sad about losing if my computer crashed or something, right? There's like this fine line between you definitely don't want to commit um, too often, but you also don't want to commit not too often, right? And so um, like a good rule of thumb that I would give my students would be every 30 minutes or so. Uh, that's probably a, a fair amount of work that you wouldn't want to lose. And I think it depends on everyone, everyone's preference. But the more you commit, the more uh, sort of saved state of your app that you have that you can go back to uh, should you say, well, actually, now I've gone off this path and it isn't really working the way that I want it to. You can kind of go back and, and you're all good. It's the save button of uh, yesteryear. So no one remembers saving things anymore because everything auto-saves and is in the cloud, whatnot. Uh, but we used to need to save uh, our file. Otherwise, like, if disaster struck, which was kind of fairly commonplace, like, it's not a disaster, it's a regular occurrence uh, back then, uh, you don't lose your files. And, like, that's why shortcuts for Command S uh, exist. It was something that we have in muscle memory to kind of just save a file all the time uh, because you really don't want to lose it. But also if you save a file, you lose what you like deleted along the way. So it's, it's, that's where like source control is very useful because you can save all sorts of different representations of what you're working on and different like avenues 
um, and kind of get the best of both worlds where uh, you can save, but you can also explore. um, And that's, that's really powerful, I think. Yeah, I would always have my students kind of think of this as uh, probably back in high school or, or maybe college, they probably had to write an essay that they did like my essay uh, final. And then they'd say my essay final final, my essay final final three or whatever. And it would kind mm-hmm. of go on like that where it's all it's it's the same essay, but it's in different sort of states uh, and version control. Yeah, different drafts, really. Yeah, and version control could kind of put that into one file and you'd use Git to kind of navigate through those different saved uh, states of the essay. So, um, and that's like a legitimate use case you could. That's the cool part about Git is it uh, is not specific to development files like Swift files or whatever. You can use that with anything. I'm not sure you Mm -hmm. should on some, but you could. Yeah, I would say the best features of Git are the visualization features that you can get after using Git for a while. You can see your history, you can see the changes between two uh, different versions, and that's what's really powerful. Like a lot of, like macOS, for instance, has uh, file history and versioning for any file that you use, any document, basically. But it's very linear, uh, which has a downside of if you edit the same file on two computers and neither of them had internet, now you have a conflict, and there's no great way to compare those files. Uh, it basically says, hey, which one do you want to use? The one you edited on this computer or the one you edited on that computer? If you choose the wrong thing, uh, you get that fearful uh, nudge at the back of your shoulder that says, uh, you're about to throw away something. What are you throwing away? No clue. Um, <laughs> so Git basically gets rid of all that ambiguity because you never lose anything. Which means that over time, like your your file gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you uh, keep every version of it that has ever existed. Uh, but that's very much by design. And with source code, that's super useful to have. But it also works, like you said, with any file. Basically, you just don't have those uh, comparison tools. But you can always pull out the file and open them side by side and really see what the two versions are. Right. Um, and something that you said with the document-based um, sort of version control is it's very linear, and that's where branching can kind of come in and allow us to uh, kind of one-up that that uh, linear sort of uh, process, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to say it. Just the linear kind of timeline of versions where we could say, okay, uh, maybe Dimitri and I are both going to work on the same file, uh, and he's going to maybe make it work on the Mac and I'm going to make it work on the, on iOS. I don't know, just as an example, kind of mm-hmm. very... Uh, or if it's an essay, I'm working on the introduction, you're working on the conclusion, and we want right. to meet in the middle. Perfect, yeah, yeah. And we'll kind of uh, merge it later. So we could both be working on the same file. I'm going to make a branch called introduction. Dimitri makes one, or sorry, you you have one called introduction. I have one called, en- or uh, whatever, Conclusion. In reality, we get confused and, and like there's chaos. This happens all the time. In yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to work on that ticket. That was yours. <laughs> That's true. Um, but we'd have our own separate branches, regardless of what they're named. We could be working on the same uh, file, essentially, in different two different states. And then when we're like, okay, sweet, let's uh, maybe come together on a Zoom call and work on the kind of the middle of the essay. One of us could grab the other's uh, file and, like Dimitri said, kind of check the differences between them and Git would help us merge them into one uh, kind of cohesive file without us having to uh, manually do it, which that the the 
ability to check those changes on many files like text-based files and merge them is is absolutely huge and uh, yeah it makes work a lot less uh, difficult where you don't have to go in find what you changed you know cut it paste it into another file it's just kind of all and then forget magically. certain parts of it well yeah <laughs> so uh one one uh, git feels a bit heavy i would say for a lot of people starting out however if you don't use it you're never going to get the practice that you need to be comfortable with it um, because it is a lot there are tons of different ways of using it that are all like manipulating the same thing thankfully uh but uh, you might get the, a different impression from different tools. Like they might say one thing, but they're doing other things in the background. So uh, it's very important that you use Git regularly in order to uh, be comfortable uh, using it when you need to use the, uh, the deeper features. Um, and I would say one of the easiest ways to do this, uh, uh, especially when you're starting off even just coding, uh, is to use it as a note-taking device. So this is what I mean by that. Uh, every time you add a line of code and you want to know what it does, especially when you're like starting your coding career uh, and you don't really know what every line does, so you're tempted perhaps to add a comment to every single line, but then that gets really noisy and that prevents you from being able to read the code because you no longer just have lines of code. You have uh, three lines of comment, one line of code, three lines of comment, one line of code, and that makes it very hard to kind of see what the code is doing. So something I recommend is... Uh, you can go ahead and type your line of code, but then immediately commit it. And in the, as the commit message, go ahead and use your note uh, that you wanted to say of what the code is doing, for instance. And something that's super cool, especially in tons of IDEs, uh, integrated development environments uh, like Xcode, is you can turn on an author view. Uh, and that author view on the right side will show your commits for every line. Uh, that you change, especially as you go back uh, and forward and start changing this or that. Um, and you can go ahead and replay the commits in order and you can see what steps you took to build the project. So code is very often not linear, like you might write a function linearly, but then you'll go back and modify the beginning of it and things can get chaotic quickly. But if you take your time, especially when you're starting out uh, and commit every line of code with some notes, uh, then you have a very well-documented piece of code that, although it's very simple for someone that is experienced to understand what that's doing, it's a crucial study tool for you uh, to be able to uh, go back and uh, and learn about what that code was doing a few months down the line when you haven't seen it uh, for a while. So that way you can actually practice and get better at uh, coding. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, like I said, you don't want to commit too often, but that's kind of an exception where you're learning this. And so, um, like Dimitri's saying, if you commit every single line or, you know, maybe every function or whatever you, you feel like doing, whatever makes sense with this commenting um, paradigm that Dimitri is suggesting, that will give you a ton of practice just going, uh, writing some code, making your comment, committing, kind of, and maybe pushing your code as well if it's on GitHub or something. And you'll very much get into the cycle and just get a feel for it. And that's the biggest thing that, that uh, I would kind of echo from Dimitri is it just takes time like anything else, um, like learning Swift, like learning a new framework. Just think of Git as a new framework. It's just a little outside of, of you know, iOS, but it's, it's essentially this framework where it has its own terminology and it has its own uh, sort of ways that you use it. But once you get used to it, it's 
very easy. It becomes very natural. And like Dimitri said, we're at this point where Git is basically the only kind of uh, source control that anyone uses. So if you know Git, then anywhere that you go, most likely is going to use it and you'll just kind of be up to speed immediately and you don't really have to worry about, um, you know, how does this work? They may have uh, some slightly different paradigm than you may be used to, but you can get yourself up and running much quicker than having to learn Git on the job. And most people, I would assume, expect even junior developers to be uh, somewhat versed in basic Git features. Maybe not everything, though. Mm-hmm. And and the beauty of, of this kind of practice is as you get lazier and lazier and you understand more and more code, you're going to want to not do it every line. You want to do it every few lines or every function or eventually every small little feature or component uh, that you're building up. Uh, so it will you'll naturally fall into the ideal uh, cadence that you want for your commits um, that... You won't really need to think too much about like, oh, should I commit now or should I commit later? It'll be very obvious. Um, something that I do, for instance, is I will go ahead and write a bunch of code um, and I'm, I won't actually commit for quite a while. Uh, and then I will use a, uh, a Git editor that allows me to kind of customize the commit and I'll choose. Okay, I'll, I'll go back. I did a bunch of experimentation. I know this, this, and this are all part of one thing. So I'll commit these lines. Um, that are all kind of intermixed with a bunch of other edited lines, but it's all shown to me as like edited. So you can go ahead and uh, very naturally kind of reconstruct your thought process uh, into commits. Um, and that's a great way of leading whoever's going to be reading your code later down the line, uh, leading them through your own thought process. So they are getting uh, kind of a view into what you went through when you're building it out, uh, which can help them solve problems if there are any, because like no one's perfect. We all make mistakes when we're coding. Um, and I'd say Git is the best tool to kind of catch those mistakes afterwards, because without any sort of history, it's just kind of chaotic uh, to kind of figure out what went wrong, especially when something used to work and it stopped working. Yeah, and that's that's a great thing is the ability to add these commit messages and, and kind of comment uh, both for yourself and you know your coworkers or anyone you're working with, what kind of you were doing as a summary of here's all the files that changed. Um, Dimitri mentioned that he can kind of cherry pick all of these different changes that he wants. Uh, that's called the staging area. So Git is basically just going to track any changes uh, to any file in the folder that this Git uh, repository exists in. So usually it would be uh, at the top level of a folder where like your Xcode project file exists as well. And then within that, it would be looking for any changes even in subfolders. So we could say, well, I was, uh, maybe I'm, I want to commit that was just the storyboard related changes. And you could just um, add those to the staging area and say, these are the things that I want to commit. And Git will say, okay, so we all kind of bundle these up into that save state. Um, or you could choose to just add everything. And that's, I guess, maybe a somewhat controversial thing. And I don't know if you saw um, Dimitri. Well, I I saw a couple of people from Lambda School um, talking about git add period, which would add the entire folder or rather any changes that exist on the entire git folder um, to the staging area to kind of commit at once. And um, it, it was this interesting thing where 
they were very unabashedly uh, saying that's a, a bad habit. And I haven't got a response yet. So this is like a half-baked story here. But uh, they were they one of them was like very adamant about that being super bad. And my perspective on that is I assume that they think it's super bad because it could commit just any file that, you know, you, there are a lot of files you don't want in the, the .ds store file, just junk files that aren't really related to the code itself. But my question was, what about, you know, having a good git ignore and then being able to add everything kind of um, without uh, without regret or remorse, just kind of doing it because you know it's only going to add the files that you care for, assuming that you don't need to do something like you do did Dimitri where you kind of said, well, these are the things that I only need. I just was working on a feature kind of start to finish. I want to commit everything. I don't want to add them one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really depends. So uh, to, to go back a little, a git ignore is a special file that lists out all the patterns of file names that you don't care for git to keep track of. Um, there are tons of these files. Uh, one of them are uh, files that are hidden by default and they control like what your finder window looks like, whether you're in column view or an icon view. That's what a DS store uh, file is. So if you've ever come across it, that's what it is. Um, you don't need to commit this because you don't care for your colleagues to see your finder, their finder windows in the same way that your finder windows look like, right. obviously. Um, so it just adds noise to the project and it's not really necessary to the project. So anything that, um, is there, but is unimpacting, not impacting the project itself, you generally want to ignore other things you want to ignore are gigantic files because Git does not do too well with gigantic files. So this is like movies, uh, very large images or assets. Uh, generally you want to reference them in Git, but you don't actually want them to be in Git. It's made for, uh, those smaller file types. Uh, I would say around a few megabytes uh, is probably your limit. Um, anything bigger than 10 megabytes, you should really think hard about if you want to include it or not, because anything over like 50, GitHub will just not allow. Um, so you need to you need to consider uh, what you want to do in that circumstance. And there are ways to deal with it. But uh, going back to the topic at hand, um, I would say uh, git add dot, um, which will go ahead and add everything to your staging, uh, area before you commit it um, is very much a sledgehammer uh, solution mm -hmm. uh, to the problem and it's what you get when uh, I would say people don't really understand what Git is for but they were taught they need to use it um, because it doesn't help them it doesn't help uh, their teammates uh, it just gets it out of the way quickly um, and then it's no longer their problem um, there are some scenarios where this can go deeply wrong, and that's when there are merge conflicts. If you get mm -hmm. add dot, and there are multiple files with merge conflicts, you've just basically said, hey, all these files look great. Um, and uh, that might be fine if you've went through all your merge conflicts, but if you haven't, what you're going to end up doing is committing a file with broken lines of code that uh, are that belong to Git, actually, telling you, hey, this this part of the file looks a little weird. You should fix it. Um, that's what those merge conflict areas are for. But if you commit that, that becomes part of your project at that point. Sure. Um, sure. And that that's just an easy way to to really uh, mess up a project and to break things, um, especially if no one else is checking your code. So and that's where uh, the git add dot kind of falls apart. That said, if you're only editing one one file at a time and you don't want, you don't want to be bothered with typing the full file path, um, 
I would always do a git status first. That will tell Definitely. you what what will be added if you do a git add dot, and then you can you can safely go ahead and and use that catch all command to kind of uh, act as a shortcut. But even better, I would go ahead and say use a tool that allows you to use git without using it from the terminal um, mm-hmm. in your day to day work. Know how it works from the terminal, but once you know how it works. And once you know how your tool works, like what it's doing, go ahead and use the tool because the tool will make your life so much easier. For instance, I use the GitHub desktop app, which you don't need to use with GitHub, uh, GitHub, but you can go ahead and use it for any Git project. Um, and what I really like that app for is committing my code um, because it allows me to very easily not only select which files I want to commit, but which lines in that file that I want to commit. Um, and it is by far the easiest app to, that allows you to do this because you can just select which lines you want to remove, which ones you want to add um, and commit, and it will just keep the rest of the lines there kind of ready to go for later. Xcode tries to be fancy and like groups your lines together, uh, but sometimes that groups lines that you don't want to commit as along with the ones you do want to commit, and that gets a little hairy uh, when it comes to commit time. So. That's why I really like GitHub Desktop because it does that one function super well. Um, there's another function that we'll get into a little bit later called rebasing, which it also does super well. Um, and that's about it. It doesn't really do much else, and that's fine uh, by my standards. Like I don't need a tool that takes care of all the control from me, and then I no longer know what Git is doing uh, because that's when you generally end up with a a whole bunch of complex scenarios where one person said, oh yeah, I updated my branch, but that could mean any one of three different things. And uh, two of those things might not be wanted by the team. And then they don't know what their tool did. Uh, So be sure to know what your tool is doing. um, And that can really help you during that staging process. um, So that way you can prepare a good commit. Yeah, I agree with Dimitri uh, um, 100% about learning it in the command line first so you know exactly what's going on. Um, I ended up learning Git originally with um, a, a Tower. It's just a, a Git client app. Um, and then later on, learned how to do it in the terminal. But when I did learn all of the commands in the terminal, that's when I really began to understand a lot of how Git worked. And it, it kind of clicked for me everything that was happening um, in in Tower because again there's all of this kind of very specific terminology, um, but I agree if you want to use something like GitHub Desktop there are a bunch Tower uh, Fork Git Kraken Git Kraken yeah um, I I want to say Fork isn't free anymore I think Git Git Kraken still is uh, Tower is paid uh, that's what I use at work as well too now but it's you could use anything there are, you know more or Excellent. less. Yeah, exactly. Xcode now actually has pretty robust support where before it was really only committing and polling. Now you can, I think, even make pull requests, if I remember right. Like there's, yeah, there's quite can, a bit of support. You can you can review pull requests directly in Xcode, which uh, is like a finally moment. That said, I've never used it. I've, I've not been using Xcode 13. Uh, these are new features coming uh, later in the fall. Uh, but I am, I am very much looking forward to... Uh, reviewing pull requests in Xcode, because that means you can go ahead and run someone else's code um, while you're reading through and commenting on their pull request, uh, which is going to be super useful, um, especially when like you're reviewing, like, I guess we can go into pull requests right now. Yeah. Um, 
So a pull request is what happens when a teammate basically says, hey, uh, I made all these changes. I request of you to take my changes, to pull them into the main, uh, the main history of the project. Um, so that's where this pull uh, terminology comes from. It's a little uh, backwards if you're not used to it. Um, but you can either push code, which you just like shove it into that uh, main, main history, um, or you can pull it, which means that you can bring it from there to your code, your branch, uh, basically. Um, and when you want someone else to take your code and bring it in, they need to pull it from you, uh, basically. So uh, in order to do that, we create something called a pull request, which basically gives our intent for the code that we just finished writing. Uh, and tell someone else, hey, this code is ready to go. Can you look over it to make sure I didn't blow up the server in the background uh, and unintentionally um, uh, and cause like world famine? Like you don't want your code to do that. So you want someone else to read over your code. Um, and uh, that's a very important step, which I feel like a lot of people just kind of gloss over. Um, and it's a great opportunity for juniors to get feedback when they're still learning too. So uh, if you're a junior in a company and no one's reviewing your code, you should request, especially if you have seniors on the team, uh, you should definitely request that they do put a little more effort into that because it's very useful for you to learn. Um, now, a lot of people are, are kind of against being too opinionated during pull requests. It's not a, an opportunity to show your ego or anything like that. Um, if you care about the code, comment on anything and everything. You don't necessarily have to reject it. You can approve it, but still comment on things. And that gives a signal that there could have been a different way. You don't know what the other person's thinking, so they could act on it or not. Um, so uh, that's a, it's a very useful technique to kind of make sure that the code that enters the project uh, is as bug-free as possible, does not include re um, regressions um, and uh, is a great overall feature of things like GitHub and um, what's that other one that's uh, kind of like GitHub, but Bitbucket, uh, Bitbucket, and then there's one more, GitLab, uh, GitLab, yeah. Um, so all all three of those kind of have this concept of pull requests. Um, they call them different things, uh, but uh, all in all, they're a great way of making sure that your code that you're submitting. Uh, is not going to break someone else's code, especially if they have a chance to review it. They'll like notice, hey, I just worked on that last week. Why did you remove my code? Um, that's their opportunity to point it out. Um, and it's it's severely underutilized, I feel like, which is a huge shame. I agree. Uh, luckily, at my work, we're pretty dang good at, at pull requests. Um, and to begin with, I, uh, well, of course, I would submit pull requests for other people to review. And often what would happen would be uh, that I just left something in from maybe like my my testing and, and of, of whatever I was working on. Maybe I had some extraneous print statement or I had uh, something in there that just was absolutely unnecessary. And that was great. But also other times, uh, it's been a place where I could get actual feedback and say, ooh, you know what, this is maybe a little bit uh, too time complex. Try to break this down or, or write it in a different way. And it's been awesome. It's it was hard the first maybe week or two to get kind of that um, that feedback, and once you realize they're not uh, criticizing you, they're criticizing the code itself. And just because you wrote the code doesn't mean that you're a bad person or you're a bad programmer. 
they're just trying to help you out and make you understand uh, and help you write better code. Um, and the cool part too was they were very open about saying, hey, go ahead and review our code, even the senior developers code. And there have been a couple things where I or the, the lesser experienced uh, developers, the non-seniors there, um, have caught you know small things again like print statements and it's like is this going to hurt the app no but is it you know necessary to have in there also no so uh you being on both sides of the review process of a pull request uh can be very very helpful and it's also taught me to i guess slow down a little bit and not be so eager to get my feature in or my bug fix in until i'd actually consciously made the effort to once i feel like i'm done go through the code read it all and make sure that everything is the way that it should be uh, to try to prevent me from wasting my colleagues time uh, in the pull review pull request process however they're more than happy to do it uh, so that's that's kind of nice but i realize that isn't that isn't maybe the norm or that doesn't happen everywhere at the least so that i think whether you're making a pull request or even just committing that is a good time to reflect on the code that's going in, like Demetrius saying, as you're staging it, see, does this need to be in here or not? Yeah, do a self-review right before you actually create that pull request. Uh, GitHub will actually, if you scroll down, you have the enter the title, enter a description, and then if you scroll far enough, you're going to get a full preview of all the code that you changed. And I've caught so many things in that little area, and I'm like, okay, got to go fix this, force push, uh, now and now everything looks pristine. No one will ever know. Um, and uh, that's that's an excellent opportunity to self-review your code because you're going to catch stuff just by rereading. Uh, just like you're going to catch stuff just by rereading an email that you sent to someone. Um, we've all done this too, so many times. We you write a tweet, you click send, and you're like, oh, there are seven typos in there. Um, and then you have to go delete the tweet, redo it. Um, Git is basically the same thing. Like once you commit, that commit is set in stone. So if you want to make changes to it, you need to make a new commit basically. Um, so it, it's a, very much a, a good analogy in a way, um, where you should definitely reread your own code. Um, and like Spencer said, just because you are a junior or you are a senior does not mean that you shouldn't be part of that pull request process. Um, something that's super useful for me as a senior, uh, when a junior comments on the code in the pull request, I don't really, uh, is this the right way of doing something? Or I don't really get this. My code may have been right, but the fact that they didn't understand something means that I did not convey what the code should be doing properly. Whether my commit message was not useful or, uh, whether they didn't even see the commit message, maybe it requires a little bit more documentation. Maybe the naming should be changed. Those are all great opportunities to get feedback because ultimately uh, your code, like, yes, it's to get a feature done, but you should also be writing it for humans. Like, it's not for a computer. Like, if it was for a computer, you could just compiled and shared the compiled version. That's not why we're saving our code. We're saving our code so that way other humans could read it in the future. Um, and that's a very important thing. Uh, so do take the time to make sure that your code is as legible as possible um, and getting feedback via a pull request or giving feedback via a pull request is a great opportunity to go ahead and do this. I always tell everyone, like whenever I'm giving uh, feedback and pull requests, I always tell them, I hope I'm not like going too far. Like this is nothing about you. This is just, I want to make sure that the code is going to be as 
good as it can be, and I'm a bit nitpicky about this, but at the same time, please give my own code the same amount of scrutiny. Don't let me uh, like have a, a, a fast pass uh, of getting through things. I very rarely click the use administrator privileges checkbox when submitting when merging in a pull request um, because it's so easy to miss a little tiny thing and it's so easy just to wait a day for someone to like take put a second pair of eyeballs on it and just make sanity check that I didn't just do something really stupid and that is kind of liberating in a way yeah I agree um Oftentimes, the pull requests that I'm reviewing, especially from the seniors, are, I have no clue what's going on. I can, you know, more or less follow what what they're trying to do, but I don't know exactly how every line works when they're working on this feature that I have literally never touched. But like you said, if it can convey the intent and you can not spot any glaring, fe- any glaring um, problems, then you've probably done your job um, as a junior, I would say. Um, or as someone that isn't kind of in that realm of whatever the app is doing, that's probably enough. And other people will hopefully also review it as well. And if, if you are managing a team, um, and on Git, uh, like GitHub, for instance, you can go ahead and turn on a feature called, um, uh, branch protections, I think it's called. And basically this will allow you to say, okay, for every PR that comes in, First of all, no one can push the master. That, or main, I, I should say nowadays. No one can push the main. Um, that is disallowed. Uh, you're going to get in trouble because your your local Git client is just not going to let you. This prevents so many issues, uh, just mm-hmm. straight off the bat. Now that no one can commit to main, uh, they have to create their own branches. Uh, and you can go ahead and say, okay, this branch, although it looks great when you just submit it, it needs to have at least two people look over it. If it gets two people to look over it and approve it, okay, we'll we'll allow the button to be enabled, uh, and then you can allow the the author of that pull request to click that button and merge it in. Because ultimately, it's whoever wrote the code is the one that knows when it's truly ready or not. Maybe they sleep on it and they come back in the morning and they're like, uh, "I shouldn't have done it this way. There's a be- much better way of doing it." Don't don't. Uh, don't get ahead of yourself and see, oh, two approvals uh, for this PR that I didn't write. Let me go ahead and merge it and get it in there. Uh, don't be that person. Let the person that wrote the PR be the one to merge it in. Uh, there are tools to allow them to signal that they'd like it to be auto-merged, meaning as soon as those two reviews get in, uh, it's good to go from their point of view, and they don't have anything else uh, that they want to change. So that's a great option if you want to be gung-ho about it. Um, other things that you can do for your uh, um, um, branch protections is go ahead and say, hey, this branch needs to pass all these uh, CI tests. Um, and it's pretty easy to set up CI tests on uh, GitHub, for instance. You get like 3,000 minutes for free, um, and you can do quite a lot. You can build with Xcode uh, on a Mac uh, that's living somewhere in the cloud and run all your tests. Or, at the bare minimum, make sure it compiles. Uh, so many times things just don't compile because, oh, they forgot a merge conflict in there. Um, and that's like the easiest thing that you can have a computer check for you um, without needing to spot it when you're in a rush, for instance. So uh, definitely go ahead and turn on uh, branch protections and follow along with it just like everyone else's. Avoid uh, the temptation to click that checkbox that, that allows you to use your uh, admin privileges to kind of skip over things. If you really need to like skip over things, 
uh, and there's like a disaster scenario, you can go ahead and disable the branch protections to do what you need to do. But uh, try not to do that and try to go along with it with everyone else because then you're going to find the right set of, um, of uh, settings that are going to make everyone happy. Um, so one more thing I'd like to go into because ultimately we talked about like committing your code and we talked about uh, submitting pull requests, which is how you get your code merged in for others, um, is how to make sure that your commits are useful to the ones that are reviewing. Uh, so for instance, uh, you're working on a piece of code, uh, you uh, type out your code, everything looks good, you commit it. Then you realize, oh shoot, I misspelled like three things here. So you fix all those misspellings and you type misspellings and you commit that. And then you realize there's one more misspelling that you've missed and you type misspelling two, uh, you commit that. And then there's a extra white space that you left in or print statements and you delete all those and you just say, gah, like you get frustrated and you have a silly commit message. Um, although those might be enchanting towards the one that's kind of going over and seeing your frustration uh, after the fact, it's not very useful to the project as a whole. Um, so there are a few tools that you can go ahead and use to kind of clean things up ahead of time, especially when you're going to be submitting it back for others to uh, review. Ideally, you don't want to waste their time, right? They're giving you their time to make sure that your code is good. You don't want to be wasteful of that time. If you can take two, three minutes to clean things up on your end, that's going to be very useful for them to kind of have less, less to go through. Um, so uh, one great tool for this is called an interactive rebase. And what this allows you to do is go commit by commit and decide what you want to do with it. You can either rename the commit, you can squish two commits together, and keep the commit his, um, messages for both. You can do what's called a fix up, which is you squish two commits together and you throw away the commit for blah uh, as you got mad. Uh, that's a very useful one. Um, you can uh, go ahead and reorder commits. Maybe they make sense to be in a different order. Maybe you want to squish two commits together, but it's like the, the commit you want to squish is way ahead. So you make a second commit, then you reorder them. Um, you can do all sorts of things with an interactive rebase, and it's a great great and powerful tool uh, to really level up your Git skill. And once you get comfortable with it, like nothing is scary anymore after that point, um, especially if you go through a few uh, rebases where there are a few merge conflicts here and there, you get used to that process very quickly. Just read what Git is telling you in the terminal um, or go ahead and use GitHub Desktop, for instance, which has built-in rebase functionality. And it just kind of handholds you through the process. Anytime there's a conflict that says, hey, these files, uh, there something went wrong with them. Please go ahead and fix them. And then you can consciously choose. Okay, it's I don't want to pick this file, my file, or their file. That's like the worst choice. And I hate that Git Tower kind of has that as its default That's interface true. because you never. It's never an A or B scenario. You're always going to pick yeah. your file, obviously. Uh, and there goes your teammates' like enhancements that they did. Uh, in that one go, you threw it all away by choosing your version. Um, so do go ahead and look in the file, see exactly what changed, um, and uh, you can go from there. The nice thing about doing a Git rebase is if you do choose your version, it's going to show up on um, the PR preview. It's going to show up that you threw away someone else's changes, uh, and that's going to be very obvious. Um, if you don't do a rebase and you do a Git merge instead, that's not going to be obvious because it's going to show you the previous version of the file when you started working with it, not what it currently is. And that's a great way to just uh, have regressions all over the place. I actually fixed one of those yesterday. 
um, where like someone submitted a PR and it was a few like hours later than someone fixed something and all those fixes went poof <laughs> in one go. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's really a shame when that happens. So, uh, go ahead and practice and play around with how rebasing works. There are a few different things that you can do with it. And it's like way too much to go over in the time of one podcast episode. We can probably do a podcast episode on just rebasing, uh, to be, to be honest, but do go ahead and clean up your branch before you go ahead and submit it. Make sure it's up to date. Make sure that your commits are nice and tidy. Maybe you just need one commit. Like that could be, that could be a summary of everything that you worked on. Uh, especially if you, if you edited just a dozen different lines, if it took you 20 commits to edit a dozen lines, go ahead and squish those all into one. Um, it doesn't need to be as 20. Um, and that makes it really easy on everyone else to kind of review your own code and make sure that's good to go. Yep. Um, I think, I think rebasing is probably the thing that I remember Dimitri being the most, um, emphatic about at Lambda school when teaching Git. he did a really great job of making like a full, um, wiki on a GitHub repository for, for students to learn. And it was, um, I think very, very helpful for, for everyone there to be able to kind of learn Git the right way. And I think a huge part of that is um, that, that hygiene when it comes to um, collaboration, because those commit messages for you are probably not that bad that say um, white space or whatever. But to someone else, that's just all this noise that they have to mentally filter through that is way harder because they're like, well, you know, is it just white space? Is there maybe something else in there? They don't really know. And so they'll have to look where you probably can intuit just from you knowing you what it is. So uh, being able to sort of use these tools to clean up your code as, or code and commits, I suppose, um, before you kind of send them off to the rest of your team can be uh, incredibly helpful. And to be honest, that's something that I need to work on. Um, we do rebase it kind of automatically rebases for us, but I'm not doing much rebasing myself. So that's something that I need to work on personally as well. Yeah. And one of the most intimidating parts of rebasing is suddenly being shown a VI editor that you cannot exit uh, for the life yeah. of you. Um, <laughs> I think this is one of the, the maddening aspects of uh, learning Git, and it's, 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 uh, uh, demoralizing when when you feel like you can't even edit a file uh, and you just give up there uh, and then you leave your project in a broken state because you were supposed to edit that file and you just closed terminal uh, and you and like nothing is happy um, thankfully you can go ahead and basically configure any editor you want to be your git editor um, for myself I've configured uh, textmate which is an excellent uh, text editor on the Mac um, you can install a command line tool and then you can tell Git, hey, anytime you want me to edit a file, just open TextMate. Uh, and right. TextMate will just pop open and allow me to edit something. I use TextMate because it's super lightweight. You can also use Xcode. You can use um, VI, uh, VS Code. Uh, you can use all sorts of uh, different tools for this. Uh, and that makes the process so much easier to learn and to get comfortable with. Um, the second thing is as you practice your rebasing, you're going to mess up a lot. That's fine. Get into a habit of backing up your repo right before you do a rebase, and you're going to be a lot less afraid of the process because 
there isn't going to be a chance for you to lose everything. I know, Git kind of keeps track of every command that you do and like none of that will kind of go poof into the air uh, and you can always undo it. But to undo something in Git like involves a super complicated command that you don't even understand. Uh, so go ahead, find your repo in the finder, like the whole repo, not just like a file, the whole repo, right click and say compress. Instant backup. Right. You can always decompress it. Uh, you can, and you're like right back where you started. Your repo doesn't even know anything happened, uh, which is an excellent place to be in. Um, so I highly recommend that as like an instant backup if you're just getting started uh, with a lot of these tools. If you're afraid of what they're going to do, uh, find something that allows you to not be afraid because then you're going to be more willing to experiment. And the more you experiment, the better you get um, at using these tools. So we'll leave a link to that uh, starter um, that uh, starter wiki that um, Spencer yeah. uh, mentioned. I think it's still on Lambda's uh, GitHub page somewhere. Uh, so we'll leave a link to that. Um, and definitely go check it out uh, if you've never set up Git properly in the past. Um, there's uh, a fair amount of information and a fair amount of information missing from that as well. So uh it's a great place to start, um, and I, I recommend it. As the person who wrote it, I recommend it. And as a final uh, point, I just want to mention that merge commits are evil. Do not use them. Um, <laughs> I, if, if you work with me and use merge commit, you're going to get a, a, a full page of how to rebase that, that branch instead, and I will, I will go through all the steps for you. Uh, I hate merge commits that, that much because they hide, frankly. They hide... Uh, changes and they make it hard to review code. So, uh, as someone who loves reviewing code, uh, I hate merge commit, uh, commits because they hide uh, changes and it seems like an instant uh, flick of the wands to kind of fix your branch and make it good to go. You fix all your merge commits in one th one place, um, but it does not really uh, explain like what your code is changing. It's just magically fixing it towards the end, and your commits are just as bad as they started. So uh, highly, highly recommend giving rebasing a try and a lot of practice so you can get used to it. Uh, and ultimately, like, Git is the easiest thing that you can level up if you seriously, if you buy a book on Git, uh, spend two weeks to kind of hunker down and really learn it. Uh, you can quite literally be the best person on a potential team uh, when it comes to Git very quickly. There's so many people, seniors, juniors, mid-level, uh, that think they know Git, but they only know like three commands from Git. Um, and mm -hmm. if you seriously spend the time to get to know it, uh, I can guarantee you two weeks is all you really need to do. It's not super massive. There's only a handful of things you can actually do with it. It just takes practice. Um, and you can quite literally be the best person on that team, whether you're a junior or whether you're a senior. It's super easy to get very good at this one little thing. Uh, and it's the easiest way to kind of level up uh, your potential, uh, especially if someone's interviewing you and they ask you a good question and you go above and beyond with different scenarios when one variation is right, when one variation is wrong, uh, they will most likely identify you as being more knowledgeable about Git than they are. Uh, and they might want to hire you just for that reason, because you'll fix their monolithic repo of hell that they've been slowly stapling onto <laughs> over time, so... Uh, that's my last piece of advice uh, when it comes to Git. Get good uh, because it it does pay off. 
tremendously. If as long as you plan on staying in software development, it will pay off dividends. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Hungry. Hungry, that's Hungry with three U's, is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app you turn to when you really want to eat, but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger. Hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors. No, it has a much more humble purpose. You tell it all about your favorite restaurants, and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator invoked by shaking your phone in frustration to make the decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and suck and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, or something closer, or simply another option are just a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U, N-G-R-Y on the App Store today to give it a try. So now that we're, uh, we've gone through our topic, uh, let's, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer? Yeah, so uh, we had a few people write in with something really close, but their answers were still incomplete. So here is last week's prompt once again. Um, if you're listening along to the podcast, uh, you can check the podcast art or the show notes to follow along. Uh, so we have a chain of operators on an array of items. The first maps each entry to the item's path. Next, we filter by the prefix uh, slash documents, followed by a compact map taking the last path component of each item, followed finally by prefix of the results limited to a certain number of max entries, uh, then saving the results in a variable. Assuming these steps need to be performed in the order they're presented, how would you improve this code? So you can improve it either by deleting all of uh, those and make it easier to read out on, live on a podcast. Um, it's amazing how easy it is to like read code, but impossible it is to read it out loud. Right. Um, so uh, can you complete the code? Tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right will get a shout out on next week's show. So as Spencer said, a lot of really, really close answers. So if you want a hint, go ahead and look at the replies to our latest tweet uh that should get you going um but uh there is a piece missing there and the, like all the code that's here is very intentional so uh do do take another stab at it and uh let us know so as always i want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week be sure to follow us on twitter at code completion to know when new episodes get released and feel free to tweet at us if there's a topic you'd like for us to discuss most importantly, as a small podcast, uh, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Uh, once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, we missed an opportunity to mention the spooning code. I love that no. video. That was it's when so Bitbucket funny. was still independent, right? I think so. It, yeah, it was a while ago. There's some good... Is that the one that was like, that's just like the collaboration, or is it... 
Yeah, it's it's uh, April Fool's where Day they're joke. like putting their hands yeah, yeah. over each other. <laughs> it's so good. So now you know how to get fork, get spoon, and get knife. <laughs> That's right. 